Welcome to another edition of the Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance podcast series. To learn more about the Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance, visit us at dbsalliance.org. Hello, I'm Dante Freeman, the Communications Manager here at DBSA, and I'm thrilled to be joined by our young adult council members, MJ, Lauren, and Olivia, to talk about a great blog post they did for DBSA a few months back. Thank you all for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having us, Dante. Thanks, Dante. So a few months back, you guys contributed to a blog post where we talked about um, recognizing the first signs of a mood disorder. And I know this is important for a lot of people in our audience, for people who may be living with a mood disorder, who may think they may be living with a mood disorder, or friends and family members who are trying to help a family member that they, a loved one that they think is living with a mood disorder. So when was the first time you guys noticed something was amiss, that something wasn't quite right? When was the, what was the earliest sign and when was it? So for me, um, my experience started just statistically earlier than a lot of people. Uh, So I was in about third grade when I first noticed the signs of depression and generalized anxiety. Uh, And the first sign for me was just a change in my behaviors. So as a kid, when I was, you know, a toddler in first and second grade, I was very outgoing and I talked to a lot of people uh, and starting in about third grade, it just suddenly did a 180 and I was very reserved and quiet and self-conscious. So for me, the earliest sign was just a change in how I interacted with people. And Lauren, what about you? Yeah, for me, it was much later um, than what it was for Olivia, but I was about 22 years old in my last year of college. Um, It was actually about the last half of the year, so like maybe winter and spring quarter, and the most, so this wasn't all sequential, it's just how I'm remembering um, this all happening, but what most stood out was I was staying up late until like 6 a.m., you know, writing blog post ideas, thinking, you know, this blog was going to be like a lifestyle and self-help blog. It was going to change the world. It was going to help people. Um, I was going days on like three hours of sleep and feeling just fine, like as if I had just had a full night's of sleep. So that's definitely what stood out most for me. But although, you know, I didn't think anything of it at the time. Um, I was also thinking I was going to write a book similar to the blog. It was going to change the world. You know, I contacted publishing agencies thinking, you know, I was going to get set up with an agent. Um, I started making lists of classes that I was going to audit, um, thinking I had to take full advantage of, you know, everything at school before I graduated. And then um, making a speech, you know, for thinking I was going to apply to be a commencement speaker at my graduation ceremony. So just a lot of activity that I wasn't usually used to doing. A a lot of list making and attending things that I wasn't usually doing. And then MJ, for you, what was your experience? What were some of the early signs? So my first signs, I would say, showed up somewhere between, um, in, I mean, in the age between Olivia and Lawrence. I was around 14. And my signs actually showed up concurrently with symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. I had you know, there was a series of really upsetting experiences when I was 14. Um, 
I was dealing with grief and an attempted abduction. And basically, I started seeing a therapist and was talking through all of my feelings. But then um, they never really went away in the way that you would expect grief um, and sadness from grief to subside over time. It just, it kind of, it would ebb and flow, but I was feeling socially anxious. I was feeling really withdrawn. I was struggling with focus and this would ebb and flow, but for years. Um, and I guess those were really the first symptoms was um, symptoms of depression. Got it. So MJ, you talked about your dealing with traumatic experiences when you were 14. You also talked briefly in a blog post about originally being diagnosed with ADHD. And we know oftentimes that's a um, diagnosis that a lot of young people um, get. I'm wondering when you were 14, how you felt about that initial diagnosis of, of ADHD? Absolutely. So when I was seeing this therapist for the PTSD and I was talking about how I was struggling to focus in class and how I couldn't really, um, you know, keep my brain on, on target and at the task at hand, they diagnosed me with, with ADHD and they were like, Oh, well, this is why you're struggling to focus. It's because, because you, you just have ADHD. And, um, I was at the time I was relieved. I was like, Oh, I'm, I just thought that I, you know, I had always been pretty good at focusing in class. Um, I had always really enjoyed school as a child and I was getting really frustrated when I was 14 and all of a sudden I couldn't focus and I didn't want to talk to anybody. And definitely the social anxiety made it more difficult to go and have these conversations with teachers who were, expressing concern and saying, oh, well, why you seem really distracted in class and um, is everything okay? And I would just be like, oh, yeah, like mumble some excuse, be like, I'm totally fine. But internally, I was really frustrated. So getting the diagnosis of ADHD, I still honestly don't know if, if I would be diagnosed today with ADHD or if that was some sort of manifestation of bipolar symptoms. But at the time, it was really relieving because, you know, they said, they sort of presented this solution that said, you know, you have, you have ADHD and these are the steps that we take to alleviate the symptoms. So it was nice to be presented with a solution that was, you know, seemed doable. And I could feel like I was being really productive and taking, you know, actionable steps to be able to focus in school and enjoy my classes again. Right. So you got on, well, they placed you on some sort of treatment plan. I'm assuming that included medication and that medication did, or that treatment plan, I should say, rather, did help you focus in school. Yes. So I was, I was placed on a medication that helped me, you know, helped me focus in class. It really helped me get in the zone. But then um, this is part of the reason why I don't know if I was experiencing um, symptoms that were stemming from ADHD or bipolar because once I was on the medication, it kind of brought out what I would later recognize as hypomanic symptoms. 
I would be so hyper-focused. I would want to do all of my homework in half the time and just race through it and everything kind of clicked into place and Mm -hmm. all of that frustration that I was experiencing with not being able to really track in class or, you know, stay focused on a project, all of that disappeared. And it was just like someone waved a magic wand, but then I kind of got the flip side of it where I wouldn't be able to sleep. I would be, you know, like my mind would be racing and I'd be so excited about all of these different things, but the excitement never really went away. Lauren, you expressed something similar, but you know, for somebody who doesn't experience hypomania and you talking about having all these big ideas and getting through um, all of this work and getting through class, this sounds great, but what, what were the real downfall? What were the drawbacks for you, Lauren? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I feel like um, as much as the hypomania really gave me that energy, that excitement, the um, increase in activity, allowed me to get so much done, um, I noticed a main drawback for me was the um, that I became verbally aggressive with people, especially if I felt like they weren't understanding what I was saying or if they started questioning, you know, what I was saying, or just um, any sort of slight that I felt like was being directed at me, like I took and just really blew up that, you know, the um, irritability, I think was a big, big um, drawback that came with the hypomania. Olivia, you were a bit younger than Lauren and MJ when you first started experiencing um, your symptoms. You were, you said, you wrote that you were in between third and fifth grade. First and foremost, what does, if you can remember, how did it feel as a third grader having these symptoms? So in my situation, I also had a close relative um, that was older than me that was going through some of their first symptoms of depression um, and their mental illness manifested in different ways than mine. Um, So they would become aggressive and yell and all that kind of stuff. uh, Whereas mine was much more internally focused. Uh, And so looking back, it's hard to remember, as you said, being a third grader. Um, But I knew that mental health was a thing. um, But I thought that my symptoms were different than everyone else's just because they looked different from what I saw at home. And so it was, it was definitely isolating as a third grader. Um, And because I was so young and um, I mean, I can't say for certain, but I don't think any of my peers at that time were going through what I was. It definitely felt isolating. So Olivia brings up something that I was thinking about while asking these questions, which was how did friends, family, peers, how did they react to your your first brush with some of these symptoms? Yeah, um, so I will, I'll start with friends. Um, I wrote in the blog post that I was diagnosed in eighth grade. Um, I confided in a close friend what I was going through. Um, and they were very supportive for a few months, but then some of my symptoms started to really, really worry them. And so they went to a school counselor and told them what I was going through and said, you know, they wanted me to get some help. And at the time, as an eighth grader, um, I felt betrayed. I was angry with the friend. Uh, As an adult now, um, I've made amends with that person, and I realize 
you've got to be, you've got to be easy on kids. They're just doing what they think is right. Um, right. And I'm, I'm very thankful that that friend got me some help because eventually that's what led to my diagnosis and the start meant, and the start on my path to recovery and treatment. Um, so that was, um, I'm very thankful for that. Um, as far as the reaction from family, I would say in my experience, one of my parents was very, uh, concerned, understandably, but I think as a child, um, concern and freaking out per se isn't what you need in that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that parent has now realized that, uh, remaining calm is what I need. And, um, so, you know, obviously as a parent, you're going to have an intense reaction and you're going to be concerned for your child, but it's important to recognize what they need in that moment. Uh, and that being said, it's also really important as a, a family member or a friend to practice self-care when you're concerned about someone, because it can definitely be a stressful situation for them as well. Yeah. So I actually... I don't think I really told any of my friends until I was 16 or 17. Oh, okay. I, um, like when I was 14, 15, I knew that something was wrong because, you know, this um, sort of weighted heaviness wasn't leaving me, right? Years and years. And um, I kept being told, you know, like, time will help. Like it's going to pass this too, this too shall pass. And, um, so I think for me, what helped a ton was, um, I talked to my family about everything that I was experiencing. Um, I definitely tried to lessen, um, what I perceived to be the burden on my family. So we used a lot of euphemisms. Um, I'd like just wake up and not be able to get out of bed. And I'd say, you know, mom, I'm feeling lumpy today or like I'm blue and she'd be like, Oh, that's okay. Like, you know what? Let's just take it easy today. Like just, let's just get the basics done. Um, shower and brush your teeth. And that's, that's all we have to do today. Um, but what helped a ton was talking through what I was experiencing and thinking and feeling and meeting with my therapist and with my family. Because then when I did tell my friends when I was, you know, 16 or 17, it was in a very, um, I don't know, sort of a blunt way where I was just like, hey, this is what happened with me. Um, what I need from you is, is this. So, say, you know, every couple months I'm going to have a depressive episode and I'm going to just spend a lot of time in my room and I'm probably not going to be as responsive over the phone, but it doesn't mean that you know, I don't love you and that I don't want to spend time with you. And what I need from you is for me, like, like physical touch is huge. So I'll be like, I just need you to give me a hug when that happens and know that it's not anything personal. And then all of my friends were like, Oh, absolutely. Like, that's what you need from me. I can do that a hundred percent. That's just tell me how to show up basically. And I will. And they were all fantastic about it for sure. Yeah. And Lauren, you were, in college, uh, I'm sure dealing with everything that college students have to deal with, what were some of the reactions from your friends and family? Yeah, so for me, um, you know, my roommate was one of the first people to notice. Um, of course, you know, spending 
uh, as much time with her as I was at the time. You know, she uh, noticed that I was talking a lot, that I was talking faster. Um, and she just let me talk and talk through my thoughts, which I don't know if they really made a lot of sense at the time. But, you know, I appreciated that she gave me that space uh, just to be able to, um, you know, go on about what it is that I was experiencing. Um, but my boyfriend at the time, you know, he was hit hard by how I ended up treating him while I was being hypomanic. You know, I wasn't, uh, like I mentioned before, you know, the drawbacks being um, verbally aggressive. So I wasn't the best person at the time uh, during that period. So, you know, he ended up saying like I was sick and I needed help, you know, which was true of course, but um, for some reason hearing that from him felt like a slap in the face. It was like, you know, I didn't have much insight of course into it at the time, but I didn't see myself as being sick. So it was almost like an insult for him to say that to me. I know that's how professionals can describe those with mental illness as, you know, being sick and it makes sense, um, but I guess similar to how being called a patient doesn't sit well with some people. Right. Being called, yeah, so, you know, being called sick for me didn't resonate at all. So that was tough. You know, it was really tough on our relationship. And as for my parents, um, you know, I so I moved back home after graduating from college, and I was still experiencing my symptoms. Um, and you know, my parents thought I was acting out, but they also didn't think that it was, they thought it was unusual, like what, um, like the number of arguments that we were getting into with each other. You know, I wasn't someone who was combative or someone who would talk back or would just get into these shouting matches with them, especially with my dad as much as I was. So it definitely was tough for them to experience that for me. But, um, you know, I think, you know, they did recognize that something was wrong. Like they recommended I tried to get help, but I was so angry at them at the time, like for suggesting such a thing, because I was already like in the process of trying to find a therapist, trying to find um, a psychiatrist. And I thought that they were telling me something that I already knew. And like, I was just emotional at that time. So I didn't really hear them out as much as I should have, but um, I think it was a reactive time for, for me with my parents as like a friend or family member who found themselves in that position, I'm sure they wanted to help, but may not have known how to help. What, what would you have wished they did? Maybe not even differently, but maybe something that they would have known at the time that would have helped you when you first got diagnosed. Of course, it would have been made easier if I had just told them what was going on. And I think what Olivia mentioned before, you know, that's easier said than done to mm -hmm. be able to recognize that these symptoms or these signs are happening to you in the moment. And, you know, of course that would be the first ideal step was just to be able to tell them that. But I think uh, what would have been helpful for them would have been maybe, I think reaching out to like, I know there's like support groups or like um, psychoeducational groups, like if they would have maybe been able to reach out to some kind of resource like that, like, so they could have learned about you know, it, even if I didn't know what the diagnosis was at the time, or they didn't know what the diagnosis was at the time, at least like starting that conversation with other people who might have been going through something similar or like friends and family who are going through something similar. Right. Um, I think that would have definitely been helpful.
Yeah, and I guess yeah. it's a great time to plug the DBSA support groups. We have support groups for friends and family and obviously peers. Go ahead, Olivia. Yeah, Lauren, I can I can really relate to what you're saying on this one. I think, you know, so many times as people living with mental illness, we feel isolated and alone in our symptoms, but it's important to recognize that our friends and family can also feel like that. Um, so, you know, parents might think, you know, did I do something wrong? Is this my fault? What, you know, what should I have done differently? And so it's so important for people in your life to also practice self-care for themselves and realize that, you know, it's not their fault. They can, they can still be great parents and great friends. Um, and so reaching out to other people that, you know, have a child or a friend living with a mood disorder is really important to just know that they're not alone in what they're feeling related to the situation. Yeah. And what about you, MJ? What What's something you wish uh, would have been there when you first got diagnosed? Um, for me, I think kind of just building off of what Olivia has said, um, I think right now what I have is, you know, an amazing support network and everyone is connected and everyone's pretty much kept abreast of, of how I'm doing and what I need at any given moment. But uh, it did take years to get there. So I right. think the only thing that would have been nice is to have, um, I guess, more conversation between the people in my life saying, okay, this is how we're showing up when, um, you know, when she needs us and how, how can we support you and, you know, helping each other with the emotional work that's involved and also just kind of having everyone be on the same page. My teachers, oh my gosh, if my teachers had known, that would have been, I, I think that would have helped. Yeah, and I'm sure for everyone, like when you're experiencing this for the first time, you, you might be freaking out, your parents might be freaking out, um, and then you go to try to find a solution. So um, Olivia, since you were on the younger side, what did uh, treatment and seeking out help look like for you at first? Yeah, so just to reiterate on what MJ said, it's it's definitely a process, and for me it took several years. But as I mentioned earlier, I had a friend that went to a school counselor um, and told them a little bit about my symptoms and what I was going through. And that's what really jump-started me seeking treatment. Um, so I talked to a, my pediatrician at the time and got on medication and also started seeing a therapist. Um, and I think it's so important to realize, at least for me it is, uh, that therapists aren't always the right fit. It's just like finding a friend or finding a romantic partner. You know, there are people that it clicks with and people that it doesn't. And so with my first therapist, it just wasn't clicking. Uh, and so as an eighth grader and ninth grader, I thought, okay, well, therapy just isn't for me. This, this just isn't going to be a part of my treatment. Uh, and it wasn't until I got to college and connected with, uh, with a therapist through college that I really started to understand the value of therapy. And so I think it is just so important to realize that any aspect of treatment is really a trial and error process and it takes time, but finding the right treatment plan for you is so worth that investment. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more there, Olivia. Um, 
I definitely experimented over the years with, um, I mean, different therapists trying to find, you know, someone who was a really great fit. And thankfully I eventually did. Um, but it took a, like a lot of therapists, um, that I had to go through and some of them were, were really nice, but just not the right fit. And some just fully didn't understand, um, where I was coming from or like, like, I had a therapist who, who couldn't, um, you know, connect with me on certain parts of my identity. And that was a huge thing for me. I also experimented with, um, different medications and kind of playing with, with what made me feel right and the most stable and, you know, in what amounts. Um, and then also playing with how much to incorporate all of the different parts of a treatment. Um, so, you know, the therapy, the medication, and also your, your support network or the people that are helping you every day. Um, and that's, yeah, I think finding balance between everything is also really fantastic. And when it, when you find what works for you, it just, it makes like everything clicks into place. It makes it all worth it. And even when it gets difficult, it's, it's manageable, right? Because you have all of these backup plans in place and you have um, all of these people that are looking out for you. And yeah, it's, it takes a while to really, sometimes it takes a while to find the perfect fit, but it's, it's really great when you do. Yeah. And Lauren, for someone who is in college right now and they're trying to seek out help, do you have any advice for them? Yeah, so I would definitely say, you know, utilize the resources that are on campus. Because um, when I, I was, for, you know, in parts fortunate that I was starting to experience my symptoms while I was still in college, because I could go to my school's college counseling center. Um, I will say that, you know, like what both Olivia and MJ are saying, it took trial and error before I was able to find providers that were a good fit for me. Um, you know, my first experience with medication didn't go well. I ended up going to the emergency room after first taking uh, uh, what was Lamictal. And, um, you know, after I recovered, the psychiatrist asked if I wasn't sure if I had the flu, which really made me upset that she would even doubt that that medication had any part of uh, what happened to me. So um, even after that, for psychiatrist, I saw another psychiatrist at the college counseling center and he was like the medical director or the chief psychologist there or psychiatrist there um and I didn't connect with him that well either you know he uh, asked me if you know I knew what medications I wanted to try or like if I had any ideas as to what um medications I should try and I was like shouldn't you tell me <laughs> um, and so I was just crying in frustration with him about that and you know he was silent throughout that whole time and um you know which some people you know silence it can be holding space for people or that's how they hold space but I just really didn't feel that from him and so um you know I it, it took maybe like maybe two, two other therapists after or psychiatrists after that before I found one back home in Orange County for me to um, find someone who, you know, really connected with me, who really, um, 
had a conversation with me as to like what I felt comfortable with, what, um, and you know, gave her a uh, side of you know what she thought might work well for me. So um, that was the medication side of it. But with the therapy side of it, you know, I went through I think maybe three or four therapists throughout um, until I found one that worked for me. So yeah, like what both Olivia and MJ were saying, you know, it it does take time. Um, and I remember it being frustrating um, throughout that process, especially dealing with insurance as well. You know, I didn't know what in-network providers were, what out-of-network providers were. Um, that would have been helpful to know at the time was how to navigate my health insurance and um, knowing what super bills were, what reimbursement was, like how that works with out-of-network providers. So all of that, you know, was definitely a learning process for sure. And if you want to hear Lauren break down more of that terminology, you can listen to a previous podcast where Lauren talks about navigating insurances and budget while living with a mood disorder, where she goes through her experience in depth and educates us. I learned a lot and my mom works for an insurance company. So (laughs) it's very informative. Any last words that you think our audience uh, should know about dealing with a mood disorder for the first time, dealing with symptoms of a mood disorder for, for the first time? I would just say to, uh, to trust your gut. So I was, you know, as we've mentioned, I was very young when I first started experiencing symptoms and I knew that something was off and I knew I should get treatment, but I doubted myself and I didn't want to ask for help. Uh, but, you know, starting the path to recovery is a huge step and it's an important step. Obviously, it puts you on the path. And so really just, just trusting your gut when you know something is off, uh, asking for help is so important. Yeah, I'd say also to the extent that you can actively practice patience with yourself. Um, be patient with yourself as you're, you know, experiencing all of these feelings and going through all of these episodes and, you know, all the thoughts that come into your head. Really, I don't know, love, love yourself, I guess, <laughs> and make sure that um, you are present to the extent that you can be again in all of the decision-making processes for your treatment. Yeah, I would, you know, really echo everything that both Olivia and MJ has just said, because it is such a process to be able to figure out the right treatment for yourself. But, um, and it's scary, you know, when you're going through these uh, early signs and symptoms and at the time, not knowing exactly what's going on or understanding what's going on. And I know I certainly thought I could handle it myself, that I didn't need to loop in my parents um, into it. I think that all made it a lot harder on myself. And so, you know, of course, it's easier said than done to be able to reach out for help and to disclose these things to, you know, friends and family about what's going on. But, you know, these people care about you. They want to help you. Um, and they just want to be there for you. So I think, you know, letting them in and uh, not being afraid to look up and reach out for those resources that are available to you, because there's so many out there, especially like what DBSA provides and what they put out there. You know, there's a lot of other organizations that do the same thing. So 
just really not being afraid and being proactive with uh, seeking the help that you need. Solid advice, and we wouldn't be able to pull out the resources without the help of our peers, like our peers over at the Young Adult Council. Thank you. Thank you, Dante. Thanks for having us. Uh, Thanks, Dante. Hey there, it's time for some footnotes. If you want to read the blog that MJ, Lauren, and Olivia wrote, you can visit our website, dbsalliance.org slash young adults where you can find the blog post under the resources for young adults section or you can type recognizing the early signs of a mood disorder into the search bar also if you want to hear lauren talk more about understanding insurance terms you can listen to the navigating budgets and insurance while living with a mood disorder podcast you'll find links to the blog and podcast in the show notes thank you